And I needed a chair. <laughs> Remind me while I'm walking up here. Um, do we have class for the kids after this? Well, that's what I was thinking, but I wanted to make sure. Okay, so we are staying all in here. This is cool. This is a good thing. All right. Um, if you guys want to sit in a circle right here by me, because I need you to be closer to me. Do you know what these things are? Blankets. What? Blankets. This is the blanket? Here, cover yourself up with that. Oh, there's two of them. Give one to somebody else. Cover yourself up with You cover yourself up with that. Is it cold outside and you need a blanket? I know. Which one is keeps you warmer? How come? That what? It itches. Well, give it to somebody else. You can have it. I don't want it. What do you, what's the difference? What is this called? This one's called fleece. And what's this one called? Do you know? Garbage. That's what that's called. No, it's, <laughs> it's called burlap. Burlap. Switch. Sorry. Sorry, Ivy. Now you don't get to have the nice, warm, cozy blanket. That feels so cozy. Rub the fleece up against your cheek. What does it feel like? Is that nice and soft like a teddy bear? Rub your face with the burlap. What do you think? Is that something you want to have close to you and feel make you feel all comfy and cozy? Did you know that there are people in your life that are like fleece? They make you feel comfortable and warm and they're, they're nice to have around. And when they're there, it's like, oh, you just feel good. And then there are other people and sometimes come into your life that are like burlap. <laughs> and they don't make you feel good and they don't bring warm, fuzzy feelings to you. And sometimes they're scratchy, right? Sometimes they make you itch, right? Like, not like fleece. Did you know that fleece is made out of plastic bottles? Yeah. And did you know that? That's so cool. I, Do you know what, uh, you know what Curious burlap is made George. out of? I heard that on Curious George. You heard that on Curious George? Cool. It's kind of made out of like a string. Elsie, do you know what this is made out of? Is it like? Uh, it's jute, which is like rope. So imagine they took apart a rope and they wove it into a blanket for you so you could stay nice and itchy warm. <laughs> so which would you choose to have around you? You want to have the fleece around you because that's better. That feel oh, except for <laughs> Marie wants to have the burlap, but most people would choose the fleece. You know what? When we're talking about friends and family, and I mean, friends and enemies, the friends are kind of like fleece, right? They make you feel good to have around, and then you enjoy them being around you. But enemies. They make you upset. They don't make you comfortable. They make you. But you know what? Do you know what Jesus said? Jesus said we're supposed to love everybody. Even when they make you feel itchy. Even when they're not happy. They don't make you feel good. Did you know that when people were unkind to Jesus, he prayed for them. When Jesus, literally, when Jesus got killed, they nailed his hands to the cross. They nailed his feet to the cross. They had beat him up. They had yelled at him. They had spit on him. And you know what he did? He prayed for them. He said, Father, 
Please forgive them because they don't understand what they're doing. And that's how Jesus wants us to treat people. Because you know what? Sometimes when the burlap people are near you, it's because they're so sad inside that they don't know how to be warm and fuzzy and cozy. And if you treat them nice and are friendly to them and don't act mean to them, sometimes the Bible says treating your enemies nice actually can change their heart. Isn't that cool? Jesus said, number one, we are to love everybody, no matter how they make you feel, no matter how mean they are, no matter how nice they are, no matter how warm and cozy they are, no matter how burlappy they are. You have to love them no matter what. And the reason for it is because if you love on them, that's the chance that God has to change their hearts and help them to become warm and fuzzy and nice to be around. So that's your challenge. This week, if you have friends that are warm and fuzzy, enjoy that. But if you have people that come into your life that are itchy and burlappy, then remember, pray for them and love them and be kind to them and try to be a friend to them so that maybe God can change their heart. Let's pray. Jesus, bless these kids and help them. Help them please God to come to understand that it is more important that we set aside our own need for comfort so that others can come to know you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Give me my blankets back. I know. What? You have a question. You could try. I don't honestly know how fleece is made. I just know that it is made from plastic bottles. Okay, I'll take my burlap. Okay, could you probably call that type of song? Could I what? Uh, that song. Oh, you guys want to sing that song, My God is So Big, So Strong and So Mighty? Do you guys want to do that? No. Craig, do we have that available? Go ahead and put it up while I get the chairs put away. Well, no, 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 what? Yeah, anybody who doesn't want to do it, you can go sit back down with your folks. If you want to sing it, join with me. Okay, go ahead and crick.
for me to be a little bit transparent. Some people are comfortable with that. Some people aren't. If you're not, too bad. <laughs> I was always odd man out. Have you ever been in a, a, a gym class, a PE class, and the, the teacher says, everyone line up against the wall, and they choose the two most popular uh, or also known as the most coordinated and strong people in the class, the ones who have the best skill, and say, you're captain of team red and you're captain of team blue, now choose up sides. <sighs> I was always one of the last two. And then they used to negotiate who they would not take if they would take both of them. And I was always left on the wall feeling like I was that big and I didn't have much to offer because I wasn't good. I could not play sports to save my life. I tried. I played softball. I played basketball. Do you know I was in my girlfriend's, not Renee, in my in high school, I was in my girlfriend's driveway trying to play basketball with her her brothers and I was trying to do a layup. For those of you who know anything about basketball, there are a certain number of steps you have to do, and then you jump and throw the ball into the hoop. And in so doing, my coordinated self, I slammed my head into the roof of the, of the garage door. Because I, I was just not good, not good. I never had close friends. I was part of groups. But I never felt truly connected to these people. Um, the other problem was my dad was in the Navy. And so we moved every two to four years. And so I remember in my senior year of high school, when I had just moved there less than two years before. Actually, in the senior year of high school, it was about a year and a half before that I had just moved to that town and to the, was in that school. And I remember sitting at lunch one day and we were, it was spring and it was the nearing the end of the school year. We were seniors and all of my friends were sitting at the table going, gee, I remember back when we were in second grade in Mrs. Johnson's class. You guys remember that? I was in Rhode Island in second grade. You guys were all out here in California. So I had no... Connectivity. See, relationships, friendships especially, usually take time and take uh, common and common experiences, shared interests. I can remember once 
Um, I was in charge of an organization at my last duty station. Um, I was number two, but our number one had taken another job at another base, and so he left, and until they brought in the next number one, I had to move up to be number one. So I was responsible for this team of about 14 people, and I was the only military member. Everyone else were civilian employees that had been brought in to do their specific jobs. And we hired, or my boss actually hired a new person who arrived just a little bit after he left. So this new person never even really worked for the boss. She worked for me. And she hadn't been there two months and she came into my office and she was almost in tears. She was that upset. And I said to her, what's going on? Come on in, sit down. And so she sat down. I said, I don't even remember her name. I'll call her Donna. Um, and I said, Donna, what's going on? And she's like, they don't like me. What do you mean they don't like me? No one will talk to me. Everyone stands in each other's doorways of their offices and they talk about stuff and they just visit throughout the day or they sit and have coffee in the break room and no one ever talks to me. <sighs> Donna, you need to understand something. Before you got here, we went through a really hard time. Our building was two separate buildings, one built in the 1940s era, one built in the 1970s era, connected by a closed walkway. So it was one building, but it was really two buildings. And the people that were in this older part had to leave that part of the building and go be farmed out to various offices around the base because that building was found to have asbestos. And it took six months for the government to hire a contractor, have the work done, and get us back into our asbestos space. So all of those people went through a, a crucible together. They had gone through this process of being separated and having to still stay together as a group of people. And so they had this common thing that they had gone through, this fight that they had gone through. And now they're back in their place and we're all just doing great. And now, Donna, you come in. You have no common history. You have no understanding of the trauma that we went through for the last six months. And so it's not that they're excluding you. It's not that they don't like you. It's not that they don't care. It's that they, you have no history with them yet. And it's going to take time. And she also was of the personality type that she needed to feel that somebody cared. And because she didn't get that positive stroke, that made her feel that much worse about herself and blah, blah, blah. So it was, it was hard for her. Now, in, in my life as a, as a man, I have always longed for a true friend. I use that term very specifically. I don't call somebody my friend unless they are my friend. I have a lot of acquaintances. I have companions. But do I have friends? And that's hard because we all have different definitions of what friendship is or looks like. Some of it's based on our own history. Some of it's based on our needs. Some of it's based on trauma that we've had in the past. I mean, every single one of you, I ask you to raise your hand and tell me what is a true friend. You would probably come up with some common things, but there would be a lot of you that would have a totally different perspective from somebody else in the room. Could be because of your gender. Could be because of your age. It could be because of your growing up in the location you grew up in. I mean, who knows? Who knows what all the different things are? But the reality is each human being has a need 
for connectivity. Each human being is crafted to be in relationship with other human beings. We are created in the image of God and God is always in relationship with God's self as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There is this continual dance of relationship that God experiences. And when we were created in God's image, we that was part of us, is this need for connectivity, this need for friendship, this need for being part of and having someone in our life that we can turn to when we're in trouble or sad or feel lonely or need encouragement. A true friend, if I have to put a definition to it, is someone that I can call any hour of the day or night and they will be there, regardless of the inconvenience that it might cause them. My son-in-law or my daughter, I can't remember which, but this past week, they showed me just a little short video clip and the caption on the video said, a true friend is someone who comes when you say, come Bring a disguise and a shovel and ask no questions. And the video was a woman or a man, I couldn't tell, wearing a blow-up unicorn outfit with a shovel in their hand, running. (laughs) And the other part of that is they'll come regardless of any inconvenience that it might cause them. Because they love you enough. They want for you what is best. Now, I'm 64 years old. Have I had that many true friends? Not by that definition. Now, why? Lots of reasons. Lots of reasons. We're going to look this morning at a biblical example of true friendship. So if you will, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18. It'll be verses 1 through 5. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 through 5. Simple, simple, simple. It's actually only verses 1 and 3 that we're going to even worry about this morning. But we have to read all five of them to understand. So, First Samuel 18, 1 through 5. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, this was David speaking to Saul. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful Wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was a good, this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now look at verse two. Saul took David that day and would not let him return to his father's house. That's not a negative thing. Saul didn't kidnap David. Okay. What happened was David had been serving in his father's home as the youngest member of the household and he was a shepherd. And so Saul said, no longer are you going to just be the shepherd in your daddy's house. You are now going to be in my service. You're going to be part of my court. 
So it wasn't he couldn't leave. It wasn't that he was a slave. It wasn't that he was a prisoner. Saul brought him into the court of Saul and made him somebody of importance. Now, Jonathan, it says, loved David as his own soul. Jonathan's soul was knit to the soul of David. Verse 3, Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. So there are two things I want to look at real quick in this relationship. Number one, what was this knitting of soul to soul and what what did it mean to have the covenant? And we're going to do the covenant first because that's easier. Jonathan, scholars will tell you, they haven't a clue what the age difference was between Saul and David. But they think that they were not of the same generation or the same age. Okay, so it wasn't like David was 15 and Jonathan was 15 and their buddies hanging out together. Okay, it was more creepy than that. Jonathan was probably in his 30s and he was soul to soul knit to a 15 year old. Okay, so the reality you need to understand, it wasn't a father son thing, it was a brother to brother thing. These guys loved each other. They were warriors together. They truly cared about each other, but they weren't peers. So you wouldn't normally think about that type of closeness coming together. And unfortunately, in our warped and twisted world, when we see a 30 year old man and a 15 year old boy, we think bad things. That is not what was going on here. Okay. This was a true heart-to-heart, pure love, brotherhood, relationship of man-to-man. They just happened to be of different generations. Okay? Now, what did Jonathan do when he made a covenant with David? He basically said, I'm, I've got your back. Okay, if you think about old, uh, ancient warriors, when they were doing hand-to-hand battle, The warriors would literally stand back to back so that you could fight off on this side while your buddy was fighting off on that side because you're in the midst of the battle. And you didn't have to worry about what was coming up behind you because your partner had your back. Got it? So Jonathan made a covenant with David saying, I've got your back. How did he he model this covenant? Well, number one, he took this shepherd who was from a small little village known as Bethlehem. He was the least in his house in this little, little, know-nothing town called Two Rivers, I mean Bethlehem. And he then got brought into the court of the king. And Jonathan, the heir apparent, the heir to the throne, literally takes off his own robe. And places it on the shoulders of his friend, David. Where have we seen something similar to this in the scriptures? Can you think of a time when the king has wanted to honor somebody and said, what should I do to honor this person who should receive honor? And the advisor says, well, you should take a cloak that has been worn by the king and place it on him. And then you parade him through the city on a horse that the king has ridden, saying, thus is what's done to a man the king wants to honor. Anybody remember that story? It's, it's, it's Mordecai from Esther. Okay? This is exactly what Jonathan is doing with David. Jonathan takes his royal robe off and goes to this lowly commoner who's just been brought into the court of the king. 
at places the symbol of his own authority on David. But not only that, he takes his armor, that girdle it says, that was basically his his bat belt, Batman belt, the, the, the utility belt, the thing that had all those tools, and he put it on him. His sword, his bow. So he literally was saying, I am making you equal to me because of our relationship. So he used his own authority to bring great respect and bring this commoner into a place of authority in the court so that no one could challenge David because Jonathan had his back. Okay? So that's the covenant that happened because of the relationship. But what is this relationship? What is this idea of knitting soul to soul? Adam Clark, who was a, uh, a, a, a an old man many years ago <laughs> who was a comment who was who was a, he, he was Wesleyan Arminian in his theology but he was a he's one of the commentators like if you've ever heard of Matthew Henry or if you ever heard of Jameson Fawcett Brown or Adam Clark these are old guys who wrote commentaries on the Bible and never thought to copyright their work so that's why everyone can read it without having to pay for it okay so Adam Clark is one of these uncopyrighted people but he has a lot of important things to say and Adam Clark wrote in his commentary on Acts chapter I mean on 1 Samuel chapter 18 verse 1 he wrote friendship produces an entire sameness it is one soul in two bodies a friend in another self. Let me read this to you again. Friendship produces an entire sameness. It is one soul in two bodies. A friend is another self. You've had it on the screen in front of you. There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This is what the Bible says about if you read that whole proverb, it talks about having a bunch of companions and you could go to still get to ruin. But if you've got a friend, you know that you've got someone who's going to stick with you. Second Samuel chapter 126, when Jonathan and Saul and the other two boys are all killed in battle and David learns of the death of his dear, dear friend, these are the words that David wrote in a song or a psalm that he wrote as a psalm of mourning and a psalm of grieving. He said in chapter in 2 Samuel chapter 1 verse 26, "I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant have you been to me. Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women." See, guys don't get into relationships that easily. Women do. You put a group of women together and they're easily talking with each other within a few minutes. I watched it yesterday on the plane. <laughs> the men all sat like this. And the women were like, oh, hi, how you doing? Oh, where are you coming from? Oh, well, we live in Fairbanks. Oh, you're going to? Oh, no. And I'm just like... 
See, have you got anybody experience this? Anybody? Okay. God, don't be a man trying to talk to a woman on a plane if you don't know her. That's also creepy, but we won't go there. But my point is, is that women relate face to face. Men relate shoulder to shoulder. Okay. You want to get a guys, a group of guys together and form relationship. You put them on a task. You put a, you put a car in front of them that needs repair. You put a wall that needs building. You do some heavy manual labor and these guys will talk all afternoon because they don't have to look at each other. I'm serious. It happens all the time. Women want to do face-to-face communication. Men do shoulder-to-shoulder communication. And that's how relationships happen. Jonathan and David had a unique friendship that went beyond the shoulder-to-shoulder companionship. It was even beyond the intimate woman love that a man and a woman can share. Because a man and a woman in, in that type of relationship, that is the deepest that a man usually goes in any type of bearing of their soul to any other human being. But Jonathan and David's love for each other, their friendship, their knitting of soul to soul was even more, in his words, surpassing the love of women. That's how deep this relationship went. Now, what do friends do? I don't know. If I did, I'd have lots of them. But I can tell you what I have learned, and I'm also going to share with you somebody else's words, because I found a resource online called Teaching Friendship to Children. Thank you, Jesus, for this person, because they did a really great job in helping me to at least get an outline. There are one, two, three, four, five things that this guy wrote. His name is, let me give him credit because he's the one that wrote it. His name is Jeff Asher. And it's the article that he wrote is called Teaching Values Friendship. What do friends do? Friends help each other. The whole design of friendship is to avoid being left alone in times of hardship or trial or calamity. Did you know the book of Ecclesiastes says a man with a friend is a threefold cord. It's not easily broken. Why? Because it's the man and God and the friend. See, God's always going to be there with you. But having that extra human being forms a powerful, powerful uh, tool, if you will, for dealing with bad times, hard times. So a friend is there to help another human being. Friends share everything, this man wrote. When Jesus told the parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin, he revealed a fundamental truth about friends. What did the woman do when she found her coin? She threw a party. She gathered all her friends together and says, Rejoice with me! I've lost it, but I found it! He illustrated this uh, This. Excuse me, I'm sorry. When friends share the joys and the sorrows and the gains and the losses, when they come to a friend and say to someone, give me the shirt off your back, they'll do it. When they say, I'm down to my last dollar, they'll give you their last dollar. They share with each other. They are willing to, to sacrifice from themselves so that their friend can be uh, provided for or cared for or loved. Friends are loyal. 
They don't reveal secrets. They stick with you, rain or shine. There's a quote from a guy whose name was James Bowie. I know it's pronounced Bowie because I lived in Texas. He's from, his story comes from the Alamo, the Battle of the Alamo. And James Bowie is famous of the Battle of the Alamo. Bowie is complaining that his friends have forsaken him after a terrible, after he made a terrible error in judgment. And his companion in the conversation said with amazement, well, what do you think? You do know you were wrong. And Bowie replied to him, yes, I know that I'm wrong. And that's when I needed my friends the most. Because isn't it true that a true friend will inflict a wound when necessary? They're loyal. They stick with you through thick and through thin, no matter what. Even if it means causing you harm for your greater good. They will not let you walk off and just let you go. They will be loyal to you. Friends offer comfort. Think about Job. It literally says that the men that gathered around Job were his friends, quote unquote. They weren't his friends. They were his judges. They were companions. They were, they were not friends. Friends offered comfort. Friendship is intended to head us off from and bring us up out of the depths of despair and loneliness and heartache. Sometimes, as the Bible says, it's most, it is the greatest of friendship to simply sit and mourn with someone who is mourning rather than trying to make them feel better so that you don't feel so bad. You get my meaning there, folks? You're making me uncomfortable acting as sad as you are, so stop acting sad. Where is the friendship in that? If your friend is sick, if your friend is sad, if your friend needs just to sit quietly and cry, you should sit quietly with them and cry. Even if it makes you uncomfortable. Why? Because you're their friend. Friends give good counsel. Advice is often worth what you pay for it. And it seems everyone has something to give away. And that's why people need good friends as a source of trustworthy counsel in which they can put their complete confidence. Good counsel can make all the difference in our lives. The value of this good counsel is that it will be, on, it will be honest in its critique because it is intended for our good. A real friend will never counsel us to go contrary to the faith. And as I was praying about all of this, these are all good thoughts. These are all good discussion points. These are all good things about, you know, uh, what it means to have a close friendship. But for me, it doesn't resolve the fact that I don't have close friends. And I want to know what I can do to change that. And I think as simple as this sounds, if 
The people in my life are more like burlap to me than fleas. Do I reject them because they make me itchy? Or do I wrap myself in them until they and I have enough common history together to be able to start feeling like it's fleece instead of burlap? I don't know. I'm 64. I haven't been real successful. This, this is the longest we've ever lived in any one place. I've been here 20 years as of this coming Thursday or Friday, whatever that day is. Friday the 31st. No, Thursday the 31st. That's our 20th anniversary of being here in, in, in Two Rivers. And quite honestly, there's only one or two people that are in my life right now, other than my wife, of course. Only one or two people that I feel completely and totally safe with. But I can just let it all out and not feel like I have to in any way be guarded. And even then, it's not 100%. I cannot just make that call and say, come show up in a unicorn costume and bring a shovel. No questions asked. I can't. I don't have that. So what do I settle for? And I don't want to word, use the word settle, but let me, let me just at least use that for now because you'll get the gist of what I'm saying. If you read Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, let me read that to you right now. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The love that Jonathan had for David is an illustration of the love that the Lord Jesus Christ has shown to us. Jesus stripped himself to clothe us. Jesus took on the rags of humanity so that we might be clothed with the glory of heaven. And as I said a few minutes ago, if you don't have the other human being in your cord, you still have you in Jesus. He is never going to leave you. He will always be there. But this is the thing you need to hear. When Jesus was spending the last evening with his friends, they finished the meal. Judas went to go to betray him. And Jesus spent the last part of the evening giving final instructions and praying over his people. In John chapter 15, verses 12 through 14, this is what Jesus said to them in these last hour instructions. John chapter 15, verses 12 to 14. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, 
that someone lay down his life for my friend, for, for his friend. You are my friend if you do what I command you. The offer of friendship is there for you. Even if no other human being on this earth is willing to be that for you. Jesus offers it to you. I have demonstrated my love to you. I have keynoted, the, the word is kenosis, okay? Emptied myself, Jesus himself. I have emptied myself of all that was glory so that I could take on this decaying form so that you could get back in right relationship with the Father and with me. I have willingly done everything possible to make it so that you can be back with us. But if you want to be my friend, because I'm offering you heart to heart, soul to soul, knit to knit friendship. You've got to do what I command. And that means loving every human being, be they fleece or burlap. It's not what you get out of it. It's what they need from you. And in doing that, following the command that Jesus left, you then become or are declared a friend of God. I want, I want to ask you a question. And then I'm going to show you a video. It is a worship video. If you feel the need or the desire to stand up and worship God, you do so. But while you are worshiping God, I want you to be reflecting on this question. And so, Craig, are you ready with that, with that video? Okay, hold on. This is the question. Jesus has asked you to be his friend. What kind of a friend are you? Go ahead and play the video.
if you want a friend, you need to be a friend. If somebody is offering you friendship, it's you, it's on you to open yourself up to be their friend. If you're the one that needs friendship, then it's time for you to open yourself up. Because the only way friendship can happen is soul to soul. And you can't have friendship if you've put a barrier up so that your soul is not accessible. Whether it's with God or another human being, you have to open yourself up in order to have the opportunity for that connectivity. And that's scary. Because we've all been hurt. We've all been rejected. We've all felt less than. Therefore, it's easier just to keep ourselves safe and protected. Rather than opening ourselves up to hurt one more time or to rejection one more time. God's offering you an incredible opportunity of practice. You can't trust other humans not to hurt you. But you can trust that the only time God will allow hurt in your life is when it's because it's the wounds from a friend. So if you don't have friends and you want friends and you don't know how to get friends, learn by practicing with God. Because he's offering friendship to you. And he says it's simple. Obey my commandment, which is love, which means Open yourself up. What an interesting concept. (sighs) Thus spoke the pastor. Hopefully it was the word of the Lord. (laughs) Come on up, David.